If your life was made a movie, which actor would you hope to play your character? Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. It is our absolute honor and privilege to have your company as we begin a brand new series, which we've titled God's Moving Image. Can you imagine if God started in the industry of making uh, movies? How about you? I want to ask you this question. If your life was made a movie, which character would you hope to play your character? Which actor would you hope to play your character? And while you're at it, what type of genre would your movie be if it screened right now? If we're in the cinemas and watching your life story, what type of genre would it be? What if? What if you are, your life is not just a film, but you are a filmmaker? That you are a filmmaker involved in your own movie? Think about that. I don't know about you. I love making uh, movies or, um, or working with video production. Uh, I don't enjoy watching movies, but if there's small little movies, you know, home movies, I mean, amateur stuff and, uh, uh, and training videos or things like that, I have loved that throughout my teenage years growing up. I wanted to be a, uh, a director. Uh, I actually attempted to get into the film and television course uh, for about two years and I failed to do so. However, um, for many, many years in my lives, I engaged with uh, making uh, little uh, video uh, productions and I became a media studies teacher at one stage. And as a media studies teacher, uh, we don't just engage the students in practical uh, filmmaking and editing and the like. We actually got to get the, the students to watch uh, some professional films and analyze uh, the narrative and analyze the techniques and so forth so that they can learn from deconstructing uh, what the professionals do. And uh, sadly, in my classes, uh, students, you know, who engage in media studies, they love watching movies. And uh, they would ask me about this movie and this movie. Hey, Mr. B, have you watched that movie? And I say, uh, not that one. And then another student will come along and say, have you watched that movie? I'd say, mm, not that one. Little did they know, I only had a handful of movies that I watched in my life. I don't enjoy, it's not one of my things just to watch movies and get lost in the drama. I, I love getting involved in the actual making uh, of uh, video uh, productions. But uh, in one of our VCE um, you know, year 11 uh, class, they needed to analyze a film and we had 
had in the storeroom of our classroom, the media study area, uh, many, many uh, DVDs that students could choose from. And it was the habit of, of our class that would get the students to vote on the movie that they wanted uh, to analyze, to watch and analyze. We watch it in the class uh, over a couple of sessions, and then we analyze it, and then they have an assessment task where uh, they are uh, basically assessed on their understanding of, uh, of the movie and analyzing its technique. So the students uh, voted on one particular movie that I had never watched before, and that wasn't a surprise because I hadn't watched many. And that movie, sadly, was called The Butterfly Effect. Little did I know uh, that it was a horror movie. I don't enjoy movies, but I never like horror movies. I just don't like that genre. Anyway, um, I would sneakily try not to watch so closely because I was at times too freaked out. Uh, but I would, uh, I would pretend that I'm watching. But at the end of the day, I needed to get the movie, um, you know, down pat so I can assess the students on on their analysis. So I had to watch the movie and read about it. The movie is a, a pretty a freaky movie where Evan, the main character, had a pretty traumatic uh, um, you know, childhood and upbringing. And he discovered along the years uh, that he can travel back in time and make little changes in the story in order to see, uh, you know, the the outcome of that. And and indeed, he would try to uh, travel back in time to his childhood and and change things uh, for his friends. Uh, but sadly, sometimes he would change things, and little changes had large consequences, and often had large consequences on him. And uh, we are, uh, you know, it, it gets really confusing. The film, I, I don't think I recommend it. It gets really confusing and really freaky. Uh, but uh, what you notice is that he had the capacity to change the climax. He had the capacity to make changes based on the outcome that he wanted. The desired climax fueled the actions of those people who were involved and obviously determined the outcome. Much like life, isn't it? This movie had a lot of different plots, a lot of different directions. It wasn't a predetermined outcome. He could have changed things so he can see a different outcome at the end. Much like life, isn't it? We don't have a predetermined outcome, uh, you know, that you have an opportunity to follow a plot that you are part of and essentially you're making decisions that, uh, that, that make uh, that type of uh, climax, that type of outcome that you're seeking. Your desire, your life's purpose, that's the thing that's driving you, which is almost like the climax that you're so seeking in the movie of your life, that fuels what you do today. 
it, it determines what you want to uh, invest your time in. It, it motivates you to put some energy in some tasks and be indifferent to other tasks. It enables you to communicate with some people effectively and to uh, put the hard yards with some groups of people, but at times you feel not very motivated to communicate and connect with other groups. And all of us are connected to uh, different threads of motivations that come as, as a result of our desire of our life's purpose. And you don't need me to tell you that as we invest in that, um, in that direction, we basically determine the outcome, what will happen as a result of what we've sown. You see, the scripture makes it clear that what, whatever a man sows, whatever a human sows, they will also reap. That's our life story. Our desire and our life's purpose is basically a, a desire to be a certain kind of person. You see, many years ago, I used to think of our purpose in life is to achieve something or to do something noble or to accomplish a particular cause. And I believe that's uh, partially true. However, I've come to the conviction that whatever we do, whatever achievements, whatever performances, whatever, um, you know, tasks and causes that we uh, embrace, we're really looking at a desired certain type of person we want to be. We, we perceive a future of some sort of a person and that person is is composed of, of different decisions and characteristics and achievements and the like, and we pursue that future not for the sake of our achievements, but for the sake of what type of person we would be in the future. Our desire is so significant in life. And I would like to propose to you a simple question. What is your desire? What is your life's purpose? What type of person uh, are you intending to be and you are pursuing on a day-to-day basis. And if you probably check uh, your uh, ne network of friends, uh, you probably notice that some people are oblivious to their life's purpose and their desires. They are oblivious to what might be driving them to put energy in some tasks and not others. They, they're just doing what you would call a day-to-day, -day, uh, on-the-go type of decisions, not really considering what those decisions uh, would, uh, the consequences that are associated with those decisions and actions. For others of us, we may see uh, that some people around us are obligated uh, to pursue a particular career or to pursue a particular uh, educational uh, um, uh, course or to pursue a particular uh, network of friends or associates, uh, they have been obligated uh, maybe based on their upbringing in a particular family that valued a particular uh, way of life where they aspire to be like uh, an auntie, like an uncle, like a, like a parent, and they 
feel deep inside of them that that's what they should do in life. They can see a trajectory of someone around them, somebody that they either admire or feel, um, you know, a need to get their approval, and they pursue uh, uh, this particular lifestyle as a result. But you also probably notice that some other people uh, seem to be oriented towards a very clear purpose in life. And, and it's probably the, this is the type of people that you feel comfortable hanging around when you are pursuing your own uh, you know, goals and you want to be motivated uh, by someone who's achieved something and they, 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 they become some sort of a catalyst uh, that enables you and encourages and motivates you to pursue uh, your own. So in life, we have different groups of people who, if you put them uh, in, in a category of a, uh, a character in a movie, they are pursuing a climax. Some are oblivious to what that climax may be. Some others seem to be obligated and others are very clear on what they are doing. And it's my hope today not necessarily in any way to suggest to you any life's purpose or any desire that you should adopt. But what I believe uh, you would appreciate me reminding you and maybe stimulating you to stop and reflect and say, what is it really is the, the desire that's driving me and therefore is determining my future. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to choose the one thing which is your desire, your life's purpose, the one thing that determines your climax, that determines the type of person you will become over time, that determines the outcome of your activities and your decisions and your interactions and your investments today. And if you were a character, you were uh, an actor, you probably want to go back to the script and figure out the motivation of a character. You want to figure out the background of that character and what desires they have in mind. And, and you want to pursue that and live that out in the movie. And I want to take you back to your script. You might not uh, be, um, you know, regardless of your age, really, you haven't lived long enough to read the script of the sequel that you are living today. There's been background uh, um, for thousands and thousands of years, a script that was written that you are living uh, part of that movie over time. You are part of the many sequels that followed the original. And that script was written in Eden Garden from the first days of creation. I want to bring you there so you can see from the very start what are some of the desires and the motivations, specifically two different desires uh, that may be uh, at play, undergirding the undercurrent to the actions and the motivations and the desires that you may have today. So allow me to go to Genesis chapter 1 and read with you the verse, the first account of creation uh, that, that tells us the roots of our story. 
It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now the Lord uh, God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. He had created. This is the beginning of our script as human beings. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. And God placed us in the garden of Eden and he allowed us to live out and to improvise the rest of the script. But here we see a very simple glimpse on the type of desire that God intended for all of humanity. You see, God said that he created humans in his image in his likeness. What does it mean? You know, if you're a Christian, you probably grew up knowing that the most defining thing about human beings is that they are made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And we'll talk about it uh, all the time, that that's our defining feature. But what does it actually mean to be made, to be created, to be designed, to be scripted in the image of God. And the reality is this, throughout the scripture, there is not a single passage or chapter that speaks uh, in such a way to define what it means to be the image of God. Can you believe that? In fact, the entire scripture is left for us to determine, to understand, to grasp uh, what it means to be the image of God. In fact, there are four different types of of uh, categories that mentions the image of God. It's almost like the four acts in the drama, the script uh, that God has for us. And those four aspects define what it means to be the image of God. But ultimately, the image of God is, is, is who you are and who you are meant to live out uh, from uh, from creation until the end of times. And the human person is meant to mirror God. The human person is meant to mirror God, to reveal God, to reflect God. It, the best modern analogy would be that the modern person will be the actor that reveals the character of God. Can you believe that? The human person was meant to be the actor that reveals the character of God. Many different sets, many different contexts, many different plots, so many ages, histories, cultures, but one main character that's being lived out in different ways 
And here we find out that being in the image of God is the core of who we are and that frames the entire history and they are the four uh, main categories in the drama that God wanted for humanity to reflect Him. Not to be gods, but to be like God, to reflect the life of God because of God in them. And the first uh, category of verses that speaks about the image of God is creation. Creation simply means God uh, brought uh, humans out of nothing. And that's the story that we see in Genesis chapter 1. We also see the second act is the act of incarnation, where Jesus, the image of God, comes to earth to, rescues, to rescue us from what happened at the end of act one of the story. The third act is the act of all our life. We call it sanctification, where we get renewed to live out and bear the image that we were created to live. And then the final act is really the screening day. It's the manifestation. It's the, it's the day when that movie, the real movie, is uh, premiered in cinemas all around the world. It's the time of glorification. When Jesus comes back and the revealing of the reality of God's people. We're going to look at each one of those over this series. And today we're just focusing on the area of creation. And we see the image of God in this particular chapter in Genesis chapter 1. Interpreters highlight three main dimensions of what it means to be in the image of God. And I will propose to you, they are the purpose of the human being from the very beginning. Firstly, it's what we call the substantive view. The second one is the relational view of the image of God. And the third one is the functional view of the image of God. Let me take you briefly through each one of those views. The first one is very clear here in uh, chapter 1. It says, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And uh, Bible scholars and, uh, you know, early church fathers uh, from a long, long time ago, uh, you know, understood this concept of being made in the image of God, that we share some qualities that is, and we share uh, some inherent qualities. Uh, um, um, nature intrinsic to us that has some resemblance to God. So they say this in this substantive uh, view uh, that, that the image of God is internal qualities or essential nature such as uh, uh, features such as rationality, morality, free agency. Uh, you know, we have freedom of choice. We have the capacity to be creative. We have the capacity to make uh, 
you know, wise decisions and, and, and be accountable to God. We have uh, capacity to grow. We have capacity to think about the future. So we are distinct from all other creatures uh, because we have some sort of qualities that have been deposited in us by God to enable us to live the life that he had planned for us uh, from uh, the patristic era uh, all the way until the reformation uh, so many uh, of the heroes of the faith have adopted uh, this view but then there is another view that came um, to uh, you know to, to being exposed and and promoted in the 20th uh, century through some other uh, theologians and in this view uh, it comes from uh, this particular phrase in the account of Genesis 1 when it says then God said let us make mankind or humankind in our image in our likeness he created them, male and female, he created them. And if you notice here how God is described, is described as let us, our, our. And, uh, and, and then obviously as a result of that, he speaks of creating uh, humanity as a male and female. And the word that is used here of God is God in the plural as Elohim. And that it may be uh, some um, allusion there to the idea of the Trinity, that God is existing in community. God is a triune God. And therefore, as a result of that, then the relational view suggests the image of God is portrayed in relationships. Uh, that relationship being in love is the essence of our being. We are social being, uh, social beings, just like at the triune God, we exist in community. And this loving uh, connection with our Creator and with one another is the essence of our being. The third view uh, is the functional view. And it comes from uh, an interpretation of this verse where it says, God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And the idea of, of this particular uh, verse is being interpreted as uh, here God is giving humanity a function, a role that they represent Him on the earth uh, through their dominion. Uh, through the way they live their life representing the God who rules. So this is the functional view where our calling is to exercise selfless dominion over the creation. God is a power sharing God, nor a power hoarding a God. And, uh, and this has many proponents. This view has many proponents. Uh, one of the um, uh, biblical scholars mentions the idea that in the uh, uh, Near East, uh, around the time uh, where Genesis was written, 
kings who conquered a particular city, they would uh, set up a statue there, a representation of the king's reign over that place. And these images of kings were viewed as representatives of the deity or kings. They were like mystical or spiritual essence uh, that symbolized uh, the king's rule over that space. And as a result of that, some scholars say the reality is God given us dominion uh, so that we represent Him. We are uh, physical beings that represent God in a way that He, he rules uh, other, uh, the, the creation around us. And uh, the reality is many people uh, argue about which one of those views represents the image of God. But we see in Genesis 5.3 that Seth was imaging Adam in all ca capabilities. Like Seth wasn't uh, the, the, alike Adam in one aspect and not others. Everything, the characteristics, the qualities, uh, the, 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 the relationship that involved, uh, you, you know, that Adam had and also the role that Adam had. So uh, it, in the imaging of God, we're like Seth imaging Adam or like a child imaging a parent where we are uh, basically uh, holistic in the way that we uh, live out our humanity. And so I would propose to you uh, that this, uh, uh, this concept of being the image of God uh, literally means our purpose to relate to God. That's the relational view. To reflect God's qualities. Uh, that's the substantive view. And to represent God in our roles, in our callings. Uh, and that's uh, the, uh, the functional uh, view. The reality is, you and I are actors in our own life's movies. We scripted to play God's character to the world, to reveal what God is like to the world. However, in every script, every script it starts with what we call the winding corridor. It has bends and it has twists. And it's leading you to consider what is going to be the ending of this story that has been set for us. In most movies, it takes seven minutes for them to do the setup for us and to lead us down the winding corridor to confuse us, to, to not necessarily know how it's going to end. And that keeps our interest and our attention. And the same thing happened in the script written, uh, written in the Garden of Eden, where a serpent came up and it was more crafty than any of the wild animals and the Lord God that the Lord God has made. The serpent said to the woman, that's Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The enemy of our souls represented here in the serpent was strong to create doubt and distrust in God's motivation and kindness and heart towards us when He scripted us, when He created us. Why is this important? Because if you mistrust the Creator, the Originator, you mistrust the desire they have for you and the purpose for which they hope that you could live. So the enemy wants us to distrust that the best life we could have, the best desire we could have is to relate to God, is to reflect His qualities and to represent Him in the world. It's saying, nah, that's not your best 
life and he kept negotiating with Eve and he said to her, you will not certainly die if you eat from that tree. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Can you see that word? You will be like. The enemy didn't uh, uh, maneuver the conversation with uh, our, our early um, parents uh, by saying you will achieve this or that. No, it's about a certain type of person that they would uh, that they would desire most. And guess what happened? They looked at the tree. The woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also what desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Also, you see that winding corridor leads us to two possibilities. It's either we trust that God has the best uh, uh, plot for us, the best desire, the best purpose for the type of persons that we could become, or we find our own version, self-guided uh, version, our own script of what we want to be. The options are clear. Your moving image. Your film, your life's film has two possibilities. Your desired script, what am I going to become? That type of person, oh yeah, that's exciting, that's happy. That's where I'm going to find all my fulfillment. That's where I'm going to find all my happiness. I'm going to be the most, uh, you know, happiest person alive. Or you choose God's designed script for your life. I can't tell you what is the best script. I can't tell you what desire you should adopt, but I know that you owe it to yourself to choose the type of desire that is guiding your actions today, because if it guides your actions today, it will produce the type of person you will be in the future, because desire fuels your actions today and they lead to the climax, the ultimate dream that you're looking for. You see, in that movie, that horrible movie that I had to study with my year 11 students, uh, the, in the director's cut, Evan, that character, was able to travel back to his mom's womb and was able to strangle himself with his umbilical cord. And that was a horrific, tragic ending to a horrific, tragic movie. But it's little decisions that we make that have large consequences in life. And the decision that you make, the desire you embrace will determine the climax of your life's story. So what desire, what purpose do you choose to embrace from now on? Not to feel oblivious about your life's purpose, not to feel obligated to follow other people's life's purposes, but to be oriented. You have a choice. What type of purpose, what type of desire do you embrace or would you like to embrace from now on? We pray that God's Spirit will 
enable you, will persuade you that your heavenly Father has can be trusted and has the best possible climax to your story as you live life making decisions with the sole purpose of relating to God, reflecting His qualities and representing Him in the world. Thank you so much for being with us. We look forward to being with you in our second installment of our series, The Second Act of the Great Drama. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. <music>